Hello and welcome to another episode of The Decided Heart Effect, where we invite you every week to take action and be inspired to live with a decided heart. I'm Hillary and I'm coming at you from my parents' basement, not in a bad way, just coming for a visit for the first time in almost two years. Yay, vaccinations, yay. <laughs> and my lovely co-host, Sonia, she's still in Cali. And we are joined today by Jill Ann Castle, who is, gosh, she is an adventurer. She's a writer. She's an orator. She's a pathfinder. She's an inspiration junkie. She is a DMD warrior mama. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. And she is a hope maker. It's so true. She brings so much hope to the world. She has a million and one jobs. I am not even joking. When you go through and hear about everything she does, a million and one. And I'm going to let her tell you about that. But I think I'm safe to say that her favorite one is being the mama to two extraordinary young men, Anthony and Oliver. Thank you for joining us, Jill. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about catch our listeners up on kind of who you are, what it means to be a DMD warrior, and why are you in a camper right now? You <laughs> <laughs> talk about that right away. Right away. Okay. Um, yes. Why am I in a, a she shed camper? Um, so I have a son. Um, I have two sons, and um, one of my sons has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a progressive muscle disorder. Uh, he also has autism a little bit. We like to tell me has a little bit of autism. And um, my other son is 19 and a college student and just probably one of the most kindest, wonderful people in the whole world. Um, I live in a camper because a few years ago, I decided to give up my house in Scottsdale and all of the fancy things. And I actually moved onto a ranch property with my ex-husband and his beautiful wife, we call Mama Two. And we decided to work as a team to care for Anthony because his needs had progressed. Um, and so we all take care of him as a family unit with our other son, Oliver, uh, so that we all have a life balance and we all have time to pursue our own things and take care of him. And he's happy being around his whole family together rather than having us separate and shifting him back and forth. Oh, amazing. You know, we, we, you know, we've studied all the work of where you are now and cannot imagine you must have experienced a million decided heart effect moments. And I mean, just to clarify, many of us have decided heart experiences. These are experiences where they either create a shift in our thinking and our mindset, or they don't. Like we just ignore them and they pass us by the effect part, decided heart effect is when we take action on these experiences. And we're going to challenge you a little bit, Jill. If you were to look back in one of your most significant decided heart effect moments to that led you to where you are today, can you recall, I'm, I'm sure there's like 20 of them, but can you recall a significant decided heart effect that, that shifted this trail of where you are? So I guess I, I can't really say there's one moment. Um, I think it's been more of a chipping away and it's like onion, you know, you peel back the layers. Um, one of the big moments obviously was when Anthony got diagnosed, he was three and uh, he's 21 now. And for Duchenne, that's actually 
quite older because we were told we were going to lose them between 12 and 20. And obviously we decided at that time that we were not going to settle with that information. We were going to go out and try to change the, the timeline, which we have um, contributed to the timeline being um, hopefully a little longer than that, but we never know. And so that was one of the big moments, but there's been so many, you know, 12 years ago, I decided to get sober. And ever since then, I've been on a spiritual quest and journey. Um, the last two years have been very profound for me in, in the way of waking up. So I wouldn't say there's one moment or one event. Sometimes the shift happens when I least expect it. You know, I'll be trying, trying, trying to make changes and then I'll let go and go about my business and have a kind of an awakening um, mm -hmm. out of the blue. So it's, it's chipping away at it in the ongoing process, I think. Sure. It's, so, it's so interesting because you talk about a letting go and an acceptance process. And yet by the same token, you know, had you accepted what you were told from the beginning for, for Anthony and what the world was telling you to accept, there's a lot of a, a million amazing things, including you have an ongoing uh, mission to help all of the DMD, you know, mamas and kids and families. And, and I know that you have a huge movement in work as far as opening up the, the medical, uh, the medical things that are available as well, but also even in the abilities, Anthony, for those who don't know, Anthony has his own movie. I mean, let's just like, let's just call it like it is. You happen to live with a movie star. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. And that was really, that started, well, the movie came out when he was 14 or it happened when he was 14. Tell us about going from, okay, you get this diagnosis, you know that what's going to happen is that pretty soon there's going to be a wheelchair involved and maybe life is going to be limited. But you said, no, no, actually you didn't say, Anthony said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Tell us about that. Um, I, I really love that you brought up the acceptance thing because you're right. It has unfolded into something different. I wasn't good at accepting life on life's terms at all back when he was diagnosed. And now that I think about that, I'm kind of grateful that I wasn't. Maybe the journey unfolded exactly the way it was supposed to be because back then I was not good at accepting that. And thank goodness, because I got him in, he was the first patient patient number one in a Duchenne trial, first trial ever with, for a working drug. And I got him in the front line of all of the resources, educationally and medically. Um, but at the expense of a little bit of my mental health, I wasn't entirely well, but I was extremely driven. And so when I look back at the journey, now that you mention it, it's very possible that, that that went exactly the way it was supposed to be because had I been the way I am now, I don't know as I would have been aggressive and gotten him as much help as I did. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like at this point, it's about the meaning I assign to it. And I, I'm unsure, you know, I'm more in acceptance of reality now. But yeah, through his journey, um, he... Because of the little piece of autism, he's very good at living in the moment. Um, it's always about, well, what's next to look forward to? 
So he does perseverate on the future in that sense, like what adventures next, what can we get me to go do? But he's also at the same time, simultaneously very grounded in the sense that, you know, uh, I'm not gonna be able to walk. Well, I guess, you know, today we're gonna go do this fun thing. So I'm not really worried about that too much. So we really kept him mostly in the day although he tries to always keep us on the next adventure. <laughs> but even that, you know, we're talking about it every day. So he has something to look forward to. He's always happy. He's always kind of centered. He reminds us to, to stay in the moment. Um, a lot of parents, when they would get diagnosed, they'd be three and be told they're going to lose their son between 12 and 20. And they're living with one foot in that world of loss and grief. And, I realized how insane that was because all that we have is uncertainty. We, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I realized that was literally the definition of insanity to be living somewhere else in something that hasn't even happened yet. So it's definitely been an unfolding of learning how to take precautions and be aggressive about doing the best that we can for the future and then pushing that aside and really, really focusing on the present, because that's really, honestly, all that's real. Everything else is just sort of made up, you know, because we really, we really don't know what's going to happen. Um, in, a, in a trailer or a report of um, Anthony's adventure, I am, you know, and as a mother as well, I, I um just would, I would, I'm so curious about the moment you accepted um, Anthony's declaration, like, I want to climb, I'm going to hike down the Grand Canyon and I'm going to touch that water the river on the river. So let's make that happen. And of course, it's like, oh my God, it's amazing. That's so courageous. But as a mother hearing that, I am just so curious, what was that like for you to receive or not receive at that time, that declaration from Anthony? Um, it was amazing because it was, I, he's so intuitive, right? And he knew he was about to stop walking and he was going into a wheelchair. I mean, he could take a handful of steps and then needed a chair. And so at that moment, instead of talking about the wheelchair that we had to introduce into the home, all he could talk about was us carrying him down into the Grand Canyon. And so it was a time that was supposed to be very sad for parents. I think it's more sad for parents because boys are in their bodies from the beginning. So this isn't, this progression is just a little bit different for them. It's more gradual, but for us parents, it's such a loss, right? A loss of the life we thought we were going to have the kid that we hoped, you know, would live forever, that kind of thing. Um, so he wanted us to take him down and carry him. And so I was really just shifted into focused on the logistics of making that happen for him. I never say no about his adventures, but what happened was back then I was, it was sort of full of ego and self-centeredness. And that's sort of how I got all those things done because I was operating on that level. Um, and it started to shift my heart because what happened in the Canyon, what's happened so much since is I realized having all these people came out of the woodwork to help when we said we were going to do this. 
And that's the real story. The real story is not this adventurous kid that that's the great preliminary story, right? That's why they wanted to do a documentary on it. But what you watch unfold is all these people that want to be a part of it for so many reasons and for their own reasons. And they come and they would show up and people would show up for practice that we'd never met. We don't even know how they heard about it. They'd want to just participate in any way that they could. And I had this really profound moment for myself where um, I realized he wasn't mine. He was everyone's. Mm -hmm. You know, I had been carrying on like he was sort of my burden to bear. And I was on my cross and I was going to get him this and get him that and be this big hero and have this hero's journey. And like I said, it was a little, little egotistical and self-centered, which to give myself a break was really for self-preservation because I was heartbroken a lot of the time. But then when I let all these people in and realized that he was everybody's, he was everybody's to share. And when I did that, it shifted and changed everything for me because it was all about what I could support and bring to the table. It wasn't about me on that level anymore. And I let the heart break in and it was okay. It didn't break me. It made everything more beautiful and made these moments that we have so incredible and so special that maybe that's what his life is for. I mean, maybe it's not about how long we have him. It's, you know, maybe he doesn't need to be here for 80 years to make this big impact. He's touching so many people's lives and making such big changes. Even the people that would watch us walk past, we recently took him to Bryson Zion because that was the next adventure. He wanted to do the Narrows in Zion, which no wheelchair's ever been down to. Uh, so, you know, he kind of made history again with that. And just watching the people that we impacted walking by, carrying him. And people would stop us and tell us their stories. You know, oh, my sister's child just got diagnosed with a disability and she thinks that she'll never be able to do anything. And watching you, we know that that's not true. And, and we met a, a, a young a father with a young man with cerebral palsy at the top. And he watched Anthony go by and he said, oh, that reminds me of my son's favorite hero, this kid from Phoenix that has this movie out. And I was like, that's him. And he's like, that's the only reason I have my son here at Zion is because of that movie. And uh, wanted to meet my ex-husband because he had inspired him as a father, you know? And that's what Anthony's life is about. It's not about Duchenne. It's not about his limitations. It's about all of us learning that um, this is everybody's. This is everybody's if we're open to it. And so that that's that's been a <laughs> that's been a big deal. That's been a big deal for us. It's a huge. It reminds me of the Marianne Williamson when she has it in her. You know, who am I to shine? Who are you not to shine? Right. And when you shine, you invite others to do the same. Yeah. What I think is there's so many people. The funny thing is that, uh, you know, I, the, the big leap, the book, the big leap, they talk about the, he talks about the upper limiting problem. And the funny thing is, is nowhere in the upper limiting problem. Does it say physical? It's all mental. It's the stories we tell ourselves. It's the talk track. It's the not enoughs. It's the too much is it's the, it's not for me. And I think 
that's, I love what you're saying because Anthony and the rest of us who, who take the challenge, who do extraordinary things. And sometimes extraordinary things are things like forgiveness or whatever it might be. When we do extraordinary things, we are helping other people also shift and see and believe and create a decided heart moment in their own lives, potentially. Well, and just the profound effect, you know, like I, I always say I have one son with Duchenne, but I have two sons that are affected by Duchenne, right? Because we don't talk about Oliver as much because he's not Anthony, but Oliver's impact on the world has already been extraordinary. And the way he's shaped as a human being and, and not just because of Anthony, but because who he was to begin with and who he's been to begin with. Um, and then having all these experiences on top of it, he's going on to become something that's going to be profoundly effective to everyone around him. Um, we've all changed. Everybody around us has changed. Um, he's just brought that, that awareness to everybody. So um, I think if you can be open and let it and realize it's the, it's the stories we tell ourselves, right? I was a huge fan of, I didn't like reality. So I used to shift and make up stories and assign meanings that weren't necessarily the reality just because I couldn't cope. And I think the beginning place of healing and having an extraordinary life is the starting point is accepting reality. Because once you accept life on life's terms, then you can open your eyes and see what's really there. If you're so busy creating what you think it should be, right? You're missing the real story. And I think that's what I really woke up to. And, and that's the message I try to share. Um, because what you're in, no matter how hard or painful it is, you're, it, it's also keeping you alive and awake to what's actually right in front of you. And I think at that point, that's when you can real see the real beauty of what you're supposed to be shown, you know? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, um, I resonated when um, you mentioned, you know, and, and accepting what isn't, you know, the embracing uncertainty. And, you know, I think um, I can definitely relate, like control is certainty. <laughs> and if I can control these things, and if I can create a checklist, like the logistical part, that's a coping mechanism and it feels good because it's certain. But the, this transformation that you've kind of revealed is, wait, what's real is uncertain. We don't know what's coming. And, and I know Anthony's part of that journey, like mom, let it go, we're doing this today. Um, and then you said something about that there's beauty in the uncertainty. Can you describe that a little bit? Well, yeah, when I stop trying to, and I, I still do, it's a work in progress every day, right? And some days I'm better at it than others. Um, but when I overall stop trying to control everything, because I realized it was an unwellness, I mean, it's not, and it's not real. I mean, um, I think we try to control little things because we know we can't control the big things, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I shifted how I talked about it. Instead of talking about it like uncertainty, I talked about it like the mystery of life. And I try to go about it. I don't do it successfully, obviously, all the time. But what I, my intention is to go about it with curiosity rather than control. 
Like, huh, why is that happening? And I wonder what that means. And the other thing is, is never knowing if something's good or not. Like we'll assign, something will happen. Oh, that's bad. Is it? Is it bad? Because if we just wait and see, great things might come of it. Is it? We don't know that yet. So I think it's more of a pausing and looking at things with a curious eye constantly having to box it up and package it so you're comfortable and I think it is about being comfortable with being uncomfortable I think that has been a major part and like I said I do not do it successfully or gracefully every day but it is my intention to try to keep bringing myself back there and after years of practice it gets a little easier to get back there when I'm sideways I get uncomfortable really fast now where I used to live sideways and not even notice Yeah. I think it's so important. I love the idea of living with dissonance, I think is so we've been taught that when we're uncomfortable, we're supposed to do something about it. So we, we try to figure out, do I eat because I'm, do I drink because I'm uncomfortable? Do I like, what do I do to numb the discomfort? And yet it is, I love your idea. We've had, uh, we had a guest that one time said, and, and we've, we've loved it ever since when you have the feeling you invite them, you invite the feeling into tea. And you say, sit down feeling, why am I feeling this way? What are you doing? Why, how are you serving me? And you have a little conversation. And then when you're done, you say, okay, now you may leave. Cause I know what I need to know, <laughs> you know, and Absolutely. I love that. I, I really, and I think it's so important for us. Um, I know you grew up in a skiing family as well, like, or, or surrounded by people who, who ski and I, I love the analogy, you know, we get to the top of the hill and we think that we're supposed to point our skis downhill and just go, right? And one side, we're gonna, we might hit a tree and then we'll die. And the other side, it's good, we're gonna go to safety. But that's like, that's not how you ski. Anyone who skis, that's not how you ski. You go across the hill and then you look for your next turn and you go, and you don't look ahead, you look for your next turn. And I feel like that's so much of what it's like, okay, yes, we can look far enough ahead to know that we're going to Zion, but that's, that's our next turn. And then we'll, then we'll take care of the next thing after that. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great analogy of that. I'm going to carry that with me. So thank you. Um, (laughs) You know, when I, when I work with new parents that just get the diagnosis, um, I, I tell them the same thing one year make a one year medical plan, no more, because you don't know in two years, what research is coming down the pipeline or what treatment or what your son's options are going to be. And so, you know, you'll get a parents of a three-year-old that wanted, that are looking at what it's going to look like when they stop walking it for Anthony, it was almost 15. I mean, your world's going to look so different by then. So I'm always guiding them one, one year at a time, make a medical plan for one year. And that's it. That's all you got. And that's even really just being proactive. Um, so I try to do it emotionally and spiritually too. And I liked what you said about inviting feelings in, you know, especially as women were taught that I was taught anyway, because I was in a male dominated family. So I was basically taught, you know, that your emotions and your feelings are kind of a weakness, you know? And so I did develop a lot of ego and, Um, for a lot, for a lot of self-protective reasons also, because I was taught that that's just the way you move forward in life. And it took me years to unravel that because now my decisions are heart centered 
And my feelings are actually a guide of what's actually going on. And to just feel uncomfortable and ask why instead of how to fix it. Like you said, why, why, why am I uncomfortable? What's this trying to tell me? And um, it's just a whole different way to live. And I've found for me, it's much more effective and I make much better decisions um, navigating things that way. So what are your adventures coming up? I mean, I know Bryce, Bryce just happened, right? Bryce just, Bryce and Zion just happened. And it took me a couple of years to pull it together because of my energy and my motivation. Um, he'd been bugging me for a couple of years. He had actually summited Camelback here, which was, that's a huge feat. Um, there is a Facebook page yes. that you can look up and you can watch the videos. Of, okay. I mean, we're literally handing him hand over hand up rocks. I mean, he, he's just done some really incredible, um, uh, any water skis and does all kinds of other crazy outdoor things. Um, so we did Bryson's Zion and it took quite a bit of coordinating. And we, like I said, we always have this magic that happens because he met this, we have this young man in our life who came out to help him on Camelback and got so inspired by the fire department that he went on to become, you know, a hotshot wildland firefighter in California. So he brought his whole crew to carry him in Zion. And I mean, I'm still recovering from that. So Anthony usually comes up with this next adventure, like the, on the way home from that one. And I was just like, oh, can we just, can we have a breather? But he, you know, his next adventure, honestly, because the physical stuff is getting harder and harder. Like he can only stay in his hiking chair now for four hours at a time, not all day like he used to. Um, so those are kind of dwindling down a little bit. And his next adventure, he really wants to live on his own without his mom. He wants to, he calls it Anthony's Mansion. And he wants to just have a bunch of dudes that live together and, you know, eat crappy food and play video games late at night. And so we're working on some ideas, nonprofit wise and things like that, because there aren't a lot of homes and and opportunities like that for people with disabilities. So it's possible that's our next adventure. But again, I always have to rest up and I have to get in the right spiritual space to make it happen because he doesn't ask for anything small or easy. <laughs> Can't just say, can, Hey, can we go, you know, somewhere close or, you know, it's always this grand thing. That's just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sit on that for a little bit and see how that's gonna organically come to fruition. I think with a lot of help, but, but if I wait, if I wait, you know, somebody will walk in the door and suggest something and I'll go up. Oh, there it is. Or I'll meet somebody along the way that says, Hey, have you thought about this? So I just sort of let things unfold now instead of that go-getter attitude I, I needed when he was younger. I'm a little bit. No, I love too. <laughs> well, you do, you do so many things and I would love if just wrapping things kind of in, in a bow for our listeners, you know, as I listen to you, the thing that I really want that we really want, I would love to have our listeners leave with is this idea and just clarifying a little bit, you know, living in ego as people are listening. I mean, I, I get it because 
I can specifically go back when Breck was burned and writing the books and, and it was like, I'm going to overcome this and this is, and I'm going to kick it in the ass. And, you know, it was like this, this almost aggression, which in, in, even though it seems like you're being assertive and it seems like you're being, there's also a running away of reality that's going on in that moment, because you can, if you keep moving, you don't have to stop and think about it and sink into the loss and the grief. And then pushing through it, realizing that you now have become, you've overtaken things and you sort of, you've become the hero of everybody's story, not just your own story and stepping back and allowing others to step up and rise in their own story is, I mean, people don't see it as ego because you think you're helping, you're helping. Can you, can you sort of explain, how do you spot that? How did you spot it and say, oh, wait, and, and how did you shift it? Oh, yeah, he's speaking to my heart because I've been so guilty of that. And, you know, it was I'm not going to take away from it because it was useful. It had its time and place. It got me moving when I was hurting so bad I couldn't breathe. Um, it got me out of, you know, addictions and things that were a distraction from coping um, and becoming the person or returning to the person that I really was. Um, so, so it, it had its use, but, but yeah, you know, I was so busy trying to be the hero for everyone. It was just so arrogant because people need to be their own heroes. I mean, how are you serving someone if you're just doing it for them and having them in my mind, look up to me? I mean, it's just, it's silly. So, uh, I started learning because honestly, these hikes and these adventures with Anthony or moving in with my ex-husband and my, his stepmom and watching her become this beautiful mother, you know, me not having to show her how to do things, letting her find her own way, even if it was awkward or uncomfortable for both of us at times, which it certainly was. And for my ex-husband. Right. Um, but but, but letting her become this beautiful mother is the gift, not her thinking I'm a great mother. I mean, what, what does that do for anybody stepping aside and giving room and space for, for my other son to have his story and my, our friends and our loved ones. I've got so many amazing people in my life that hold me up and, and knowing I don't do this alone and watching all the people show up for these hikes that added a little piece to the hike where it would have never been the same and never been as successful unless this random person showed up with that skill. I mean, that, that is humbling. And that really put me in my place. Um, and, and, and that's where, I get to just sit back and watch the beauty unfold instead of really feeling. And I still, you know, I still get in there with my ego and think I need to fix and we, you know, it's probably going to go on forever. But again, my awareness that I'm doing that and my ability to pause and take a breath and go, you know, something really beautiful might unfold here. If I just let others, um, and ask them questions about what they need and what they need to succeed or what they need to really come to their full realization of who they are. Right. Yeah. It's just, I'm getting better. 
I'm just getting better at it. And it's just so much more fulfilling, obviously. And, and, and everything's so much more successful that way too. Yeah. I think just raising the question to just the awareness when we invite that emotion in for tea, and then we'll just say, Oh, is it, Oh, is it ego? like, that's where such an, a great awareness to say, Oh, Hey ego. I recognize you. I recognize you. I mean, just recognizing it is such a huge, powerful thing. Um, Jill, I know that our listeners are going to probably most likely want to continue a conversation with you directly with you. And what is the best way for them to find you? How can they connect with you? Well, you can always connect with me on Facebook. You know, I do a lot of connecting and and socializing on a national level, especially with Duchenne through Facebook. Um, I am trying to get back to my writing. Like I said, I took a pause from my writing for a while because I wanted to come from this self-centered, or I mean, this heart-centered place rather than you know, some of the ego place I had been coming from before. So I took a breather on my writing and my speaking and all that, but I think I'm kind of leaning back into it a little bit in a new way. So I am trying to blog on jillancastle.com, although that's fresh and there's not a lot on there yet, but hopefully there will be now uh, in the future. And um, Anthony's movie, and there's a Facebook page with the title of his movie, The Carry On, Finding Hope in the Canyon, where we post all of his new adventures and things and news reels and things like that so that you can follow him i think he's probably a lot more fun to follow than me um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you both exciting to follow i i mean truly and i know sorry i know we're wrapping up but yet but truly why i love following you jill is because your mom for those mamas out there like your mama heart speaks to me mm-hmm. you know and so and you are so real and so authentic and, and you call out those things that speak to my heart that I go, okay, I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in this. We can, we, we can get through this together. And I always feel like, even though I may not be there with you in person, you get it. And you're sort of sitting here, you know, and I love that. So I want to thank you so much because you allow people in such a graceful, beautiful, messy awesome, amazing way to be a part of your life and Anthony's life and Oliver's life and mama two's life. And you're, you know, it just, you, it's, it's a beautiful thing because the rest of us, it helps us to feel less fear in doing the same. Well, thank you so much for having me. What a beautiful conversation as always with you always. Well, Both you did- ladies are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jill. We, we honor you. And um, I want to leave our listeners with something that you said in one of the video reels. Um, it was about, this is not a story about Anthony or me or even a community, but really it's what you can do. Think about what you can do, what you can't. And I, I quote you there. What? And so that, that jolted me like, what is it that I can do? I didn't know I had a glass ceiling. Let me break the ceiling because you know, that your story, your family story is really one about breaking our mindsets or expanding it, challenging it and saying we're limitless. And I just want to hold our listeners there. So everyone, our listeners, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation like Hillary and I did. I mean, it is one of humility and courage and the power of vulnerability. Um, continue to join us and follow us with more episodes coming up on the Decided Heart Effect. 
you better follow us on YouTube, uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and all the podcast platforms that you prefer. We're on there. Um, until next time, we hope that you have the courage to live with a decided heart. Thank you, everybody.